So we are in our sixth and final week of a series called Disciple Shift, and we've been trying to live into and unpack a little bit more Placentia Presbyterian Church's future story, and we've talked about it from a variety of different angles. There's a, a printout of that in your worship folder. I want you to take that home with you, put it in your Bible, uh, and read it often, and see how we're doing, and overlay what you are about in life and ministry with with the leadership's desire. This is an aspirational statement that drives us out forward as a community of faith in the living God in Jesus Christ as the Spirit empowers us so well. We've looked at words like flourishing. We're a flourishing church. We've looked at words like, what does it mean to be vibrant? We've looked at energized worship with Christ at the center that appeals to all generations and all ethnicities in one place. We've talked about what it means and looks like to collaborate with the community right outside our front door, all the way around the world and into our back door again. We talked last week about being a relational church, and today we want to finish on what, is it, what does it mean for a church to grow and go? I just like saying that. Grow and go. It kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's an outward projection. It sends us forth. There's action. It's not come and receive. It's grow and go. Significant difference as we gather together as God's people. I love this little story. On the way to drop off her daughter at preschool, uh, the mother, who was a physician, had put her, spent the time to, and care to put her daughter in the car seat properly, right? That's always top of the list, right? Parents? Grandparents, right? Top of the list. Get my daughter in the car seat, or granddaughter. Do that rightly. Do that well. And as that process was unfolding, the, the stethoscope from her mother fell off of her uh, neck and fell onto the seat next to her preschool-aged child, and mom got in the car to drive the short route to the preschool, and as she looked in the rearview mirror, she noticed it didn't take long. Her daughter had picked up the stethoscope and started playing with it. Mom's heart swooned, wafted with joy. Oh, my daughter, she's going to be just like me. She wants to be a physician. And her heart warmed and a smile cracked the corner of her mouth even though she had had only one cup of coffee. <laughs> and her mind went to graduation and the white coat and seeing her daughter's name on a placard outside of her office with the title Doctor. She was soon brought back to reality when her daughter picked up the stethoscope and said into it, Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. We just love our kids, man, don't we? We love them, and then it's like, what are you doing? And you grit and talk through your teeth. What is this? Go clean your room before your father gets home. Well, kids are great. It's so refreshing. Let's see if we can hear a message from God this day that comes through perhaps louder than a stethoscope.
and sends a message to our hearts, right? Before I go that much further, I, uh, I don't want to embarrass him. Uh, I didn't set this up ahead of time. I have a lifetime friend here today, Mark. Uh, Mark, you want to just raise your hand? So Mark Savard and I grew up together in high school. Um, please don't talk to him afterwards about high school stories. <laughs> Uh, he does have property, and he assured me that I could build a tiny home on uh, some of his property. Although I'm not sure I want to go live there. He texted me Monday. He, was planning, he came Friday night, got in late because there was a snowstorm in Chicago. He texted me Monday, though, and said, uh, it's four degrees below zero. I'll be there in two hours. <laughs> right? So anyway, it's great to have Mark here. And uh, anyway, I could say a lot more, but I won't. But uh, just a great friend. And uh, he's checking me out, so I hope. I hope this goes well. He's probably thinking in his mind like I do almost every week, what is happening here? How is this guy a pastor? So. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so all that to say this whole week in anticipation of Mark coming, and we've been just reminiscing, sharing stories, and trying to remember all the great stories that we forgot. Uh, we knew we were in the same place at the same time, and we were just trying to bring back these stories. And, and one story that, that I do recall that Mark was not specifically a part of, uh, but I think pertains to this text as we're going to make our way through it. Uh, when I was in college, I painted at that time. Well, Mark and I started painting, started painting together in high school. Mark and I painted, I think, junior year and senior year in high school. And then when we went off to college, I think Mark took a year off either that's what he said to me, and he went and painted privately, or uh, he did take a year off. But nonetheless, uh, we parted ways. He took a year off, and I, I had to keep the painting business going, so I painted houses. This summer was between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I believe. We can't quite remember, but that's what we believe. So I was painting on my own, and my younger brother Dan was 12 years old. And at the time, he was on a 12-year-old all-star traveling baseball team. I don't think I've told you this story, but I like it. Um, and they were, they were doing really well. And uh, they made their way to win the state. So they were the best baseball team, 12-year-old traveling baseball team, Barrington, 12-year-old travel team, won the state of Illinois, and then they went on to regionals. And miracle of all miracles, they won that tournament as well. And what that meant was they were going to go to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, for the Little League World Series. Now, yeah, right? Anybody from Pennsylvania? Anybody just want to go woo-woo? Yeah, okay, yeah. I kind of figured after I saw no hands that somebody just wanted to woo-hoo, you know, that kind of. So while this whole thing was happening, I'm six years older than all these 12-year-olds, and I'm in college, and I had a pretty good arm still. Mark can attest to that, and you're going to lie and uh, say I had a good arm. But my dad, uh, and so I would paint. So I'd go to paint early in the morning uh, so that I could get a good start on things, and then... I would go to pitch batting practice for them in the afternoon so I could knock off a little bit early. I'd go to the park and I'd pitch batting practice. And my dad's instructions were me, to me were very simple. He'd look right at me and he'd say, Tope, throw as hard and as fast as you can. And I know what he was asking me to do. I'm six years older. They're 12, six years younger. And it's only 45 feet for them. It's not 60 and I got pretty good at this, so I just started batting practice, and I got pretty good because you look at one metal pole on the backstop, and that's your catcher's mitt. And I just started throwing darts. And I felt like I became a part of this team. 
I personally felt like I became a part of this 12-year-old group of kids. Now, my dad was the head coach, and there was another guy, the assistant coach, and we still used this. We didn't call parents by their first names back then. And I don't know what happened, but between that time and the time I was a parent, we stopped calling people Mr. Wambach, and we started calling them by their first name. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sociologically, to me, that's a fascinating shift. It's a time for another story uh, on a different day. But I just knew him as Mr. Wambach. And these young men, they kept winning. And Mr. Wambach kept drilling into the kids, these 12-year-old kids, one phrase. And he would say this, come on, guys. He was German, by the way. I can't do a German accent, but you can envision it in your mind. Come on, guys. You got to believe. Come on, guys. You got to believe. And at first, it was just this thing that he was using. And then my dad would start using it. And then every once in a while, some of the kids would start using it. And then you'd go to games, and parents would hold up signs. And you know what the sign said? You got to believe. This movement of you got to believe began to unfold right before my very eyes. And I felt like I was a part of the team because, after all, they're hitting my 90-mile-an-hour fastball. <laughs> I mean, that's just the honest truth about it, you know? So they make their way to Williamsport World Series, to the Williamsport, Pennsylvania for the Little League World Series. And a long story short, they lost the semifinal game 9 to 8. And if they would have won that game, they lost it in the bottom of the sixth. If they would have won that game, they would have gone to play in the championship game for the Little League World Series. As it was, they finished third. They finished third in the Little League World Series. I don't remember what year it was. Mark, you might. You have a better mind than I do. Call Jimmy Bartels and get it for us right now, would you? So that phrase, friends, you got to believe. It was a one-off. It was a one-off that became a thing, that became a rally cry, that became a slogan, that became a movement, that became a third place in the Little League World Series. And I guarantee you the first time that Mr. Wambach said, you guys, come on guys, you got to believe. Everybody in that place said, we're going to be lucky to get out of state. Rally cries are important. And so is PPCs. So is PPC's rally cry. Loving all people to life. Relational, relevant, and bold. You gotta believe. You believe? See, now that's what I'm talking about. The first time I heard it, I know there was about that much enthusiasm. And we've been talking about this for quite some time. Loving people to life in Jesus Christ, relational, relevant, and bold. you got to believe. Amen. Okay, that was a little bit better. Is that going to get us to the Lily World Series? No, it's not. It's not even going to get us through the first traffic jam on the 57. But this notion of you got to believe. 
Do you? You just gotta believe. The question is how? How do you do all this stuff? How do you love all people to life in Christ in a way that's relational and relevant and bold? And how do we live into these words that we've been diving into without them being just words? You know, a flourishing church, a vibrant place, energized in worship, collaborate. How do you do that? It's more than just you got to believe, but you ha- we have to start with you got to believe. Come on, guys, you got to believe. Now, he was, a, he was a heavyset German guy, and you don't want to mess with heavyset German guys. But I'm not kidding you, he had every single one of the people on that team believing that. And by the time it was over, the entire town believed you got to believe. Because they saw it. Well, you couldn't help but see it because there was a parade that ran through the center of town with you got to believe on the side of the fire truck. So how do we do it? I think today's verse is a great start. It's simple. It's short. It's concise. I want would you say this with me in unison? It's just one verse. It's awesome. And now this is Paul talking in 2 Timothy. Read this with me. And the thing you have heard me, Paul, say in the presence of check this out, reliable people who will also be qualified to what? Teach others. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Notice what's happening here. Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, it's transferred to reliable people, and that's transferred to others. Notice the fact that this ministry thing grows. you got to believe. It, it grows. It doesn't come here and stagnate. It's, it's a rally cry that propels us outward so that it grows. It's just simple exponential math. Paul, witnesses, reliable people, others. You catch the flow? I don't have to unpack this that long, but let me do it one more time. Paul, witnesses, reliable people, others. Key word in the verse, others. Others. But it starts with Paul and the many witnesses. You got to believe. You got to believe. You got to believe that this stuff is actually going to happen in our midst. It's not just spouted out, prattled like me, week in and week out. You got to believe. Do you believe? Right? And a movement begins to unfold. It's a, you know, I love the image. For some reason, it's just a big one for me. If you throw a rock, which what boy wouldn't want to throw a rock in a still pond? What girl wouldn't want to throw a rock with her dad in a still pond? What granddaughter is not gonna, will be taught how to throw a rock into a still pond? Right? And there's this rippling effect. 
Paul, witnesses, reliable folks, others, loving all people to Christ, relational, relevant, bold. Got to believe. It's more than a slogan. We live into it. I think every single one of us in this room can live into our rally cry, our slogan. If we do two simple commands, one, we grow. We grow into it. It's pure multiplication here. It's inherent in the verse. Paul becomes many witnesses. Many witnesses become reliable people. Reliable people become that great designation that is called others. Notice, others, no names. People aren't here yet. They're out there. They're not in here. Others, the movement has a flow, and we have to believe, or we're kidding ourselves. Because this isn't church. This is worship. Church is everything that we do when we get outside of this place. That's church. This is worship. Out there is church. Do you believe? You got to believe. If we don't believe that, we, you know, it's the Titanic. We're going to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. So it's just very simple mathematics. It's radical disciple shift. And it starts with this strong center and moves out. It never moves in. The ripple effect of throwing a rock or a stone or whatever you, you know, want to do, and I know some of you are in here and you're going to want to pick up the biggest rock you can so it makes the loudest kerplunk. And that's cool too. It's all part of it. But the center of the inertia and the impact is Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended, and then we are the ripple effect outward. Outward, where? To others. The only way we can live into the rally call is by growing like that, growing outward, never inward. Always outward toward people and need. And what's cool when it happens, and this is, I didn't plan on this. I had no idea you guys were coming. That happens. You guys showed up today. You had no idea what I was going to talk about. And kind of, I didn't either. And uh, <laughs> you're really helping me out here, man. Because you're, you're an example and an illustration of that. Of what happens when it, it actually does go out into the community. When we do collaborate with our neighbors. Shoulder to shoulder, the neighborhood is transformed more powerfully and more effectively than, is, than, than when it would just be us. Sorry, I got tongue-tied. I mean, we do a good job, but man, all of us in the neighborhood are way smarter than any of us. So the power of the community, got to believe, got to believe. So that's the first step in ministry like this, as Scripture really talks about. It grows out. It grows out. And secondly, and I don't think I planned this, maybe I did, we go with it. 
You know, we go with it. First we grow out, and then we go. We turn ourselves outwards, and we go outwards. I love this story. I don't think I've used it here before. If I have, act like I've not used it. It's a parable. It goes like this. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. Have you heard this? Raise your hand if you heard it. I told you to act like I didn't, you hadn't heard of it. <laughs> the building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station. It became famous in the neighborhood. Some of those who were saved, and various others in the surrounding communities, wanted to become associated with that station and give their time and their money and their effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought, new buildings were built, new crews were trained, and that little life-saving station, it grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station started to get unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped, so they felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who came into the building when they were saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building, and they bought everyone a my pillow. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was funny. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully, and they furnished it like a sort of a club. Less of the members were now interested in going to the sea on life-saving missions, so, that they, so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work for them. In other words, they hired pastors. The mission of the life-saving station was, was giving lip service. But most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large shipwreck, about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some of them had black skin, some spoke a strange language, some didn't know any English, some of them didn't have the right papers. And the new beautiful club was considered considerably messed up, so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because it was unpleasant and it was a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they needed to go down the street and begin their own life-saving station further down the coast. And that's what they did. As the years went by, this, is, this would never happen to us. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old one. 
They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number, a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. Only now, most of the people drown. Ministry grows, and it goes. Loving all people to life, relational, relevant, and bold. It grows, and it goes outside. Do you believe that? Mark, you're a former coach. Do you believe that? You do? Yeah. You know, it reminds me of the old story, you know, the, the guy that was shipwrecked on the island for 10 years, finally gets rescued, right? Coast Guard comes, sees him, he's got his bonfire. Coast Guard goes by, he lights the bonfire up. Hey, there's some castaway on the island. So the Coast Guard tenders itself to the shore, and uh, the officer of the Coast Guard gets out, rescues the guy guy's happy. Get to go home now. This is great. And as they're getting into the tender to go back to the, to the uh, I don't know what they call him, the bigger ship, <laughs> he says, hey, buddy, I see there's three little huts on the shore. How come there's three of them? Oh, well, the first hut is my house, and the second hut, that was my, that's my church. And, you know, Coast Guard guy is a little bewildered and confused. And he goes, well, wait a minute. What's the third one for? And he goes, oh, no, no, that's just the last church I went to. (laughs) We don't care about that one. Let's just forget that guy. But thanks for rescuing me, right? And And in a way, they go. Ministry goes, grows, and goes. Ministry is exponential. It's adding, folks, it's Paul to faithful witnesses, to reliable others. And it goes outside. The inertia is never inward. The inertia is always centered and outward. That's growing and going. That's loving all people to life in Christ, relational, relevant, and bold. I know I believe it. I also know it's a struggle. Because the temptation and the pull to create a safe place for our own people is just that strong. I've always been impressed with pockets in the places of PPC that continue stories like this. So here's what I've been thinking about in terms of a, of a brief challenge uh, over the course of the next year. And we've already wrestled a little bit with this, with Session, the leadership group. Uh, we've talked a little bit already about what, what would it look like for us to grow and go outside. So over the course of the next year, to do two things. As we make decisions and discern and pray, 
will we engage with the others in mind? The others in mind. Because others in this text is a really broad category. And usually the others are unknown as of yet. So I have a question for 180 of us. Will you risk believing in a way that grows and goes and consider personally what it looks like to go to the other and keep them in mind? Will you commit to at least trying to do that? Right? Because that's part of the you got to believe. And for those that are in, in official places of our structure, session, deacon, all the committees and ministry teams and just all the things that happen, we have a fabulous facility here, but what if over the course of the next year, everything that we do on campus regularly, we committed with each other to do this off campus in a public place at least one time where there are others? It's a big step. That's bold. But I could see it happening. I could see yoga in a park. I could see committee meetings at wholesale, what's it called? Whole Foods, because they got all these little outdoor fireplaces. I could see committee meetings in coffee shops. I could see Bible studies in libraries and community centers. Just grow and go. Just try it, see what happens. And when you're there, notice what you notice. Because people will ask you stuff, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we're having a Bible study. What are you doing that for? Boy, I'd love to be there to hear those responses. Right? That's living out the text. That's, that's transformation. That's the whole point of spiritual growth in, in Christ. So loving all people to life in Christ. Relational, relevant, bold. Ministry grows and goes. One last time. One last question. Do you believe that? Yeah. Who said that? Boy Scout. Boy Scout. I'm buying you lunch, pal. I didn't say where, but I'm buying you lunch. Let's pray together. Thank God for a ridiculously out-of-place, humorous, really loud yes. Because that's how you start a movement when a lone wolf attracts two or three other people. And those two or three other people attract another eight or nine people. And those eight or nine people attract another ten or twelve people. And pretty soon, we have a movement 
that grows and goes. That's the nature of the church. Always has been. Always will be. And when it's anything other than that, God, as you know, well, we become just a life-saving club. provoke us this day and may we leave slightly uncomfortable and yet also paradoxically inspired. Not because of words spoken, but because of spirit enabling and empowering us. Thanks be to you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.